0: official home of the Canucks. Tiki Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Bic and the Boss. Bic Nazar, Craig McEwen, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Lots of comments coming in into our 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. It's the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. Uh, some disagreement with Ian McIntyre there. Defense first, rather than dedicating time and transactions to the uh, forwards. And I guess it's really interesting to see Mac in... You know, how you piece the puzzle together and the sequence of, of events kind of matters in this scenario. And, and yeah, you can bargain bin shop later on in the offseason, but you, you, you kind of want a bit of an idea of what your team looks like right now. And just based on numbers alone. Of, of what bodies there are available. There's a lot more forwards available than there are D-men right now for the Vancouver Canucks. And you think of the what the, the free agent market and the trade market looks like, it's much more robust defensively than it is uh, for forwards. So to me, I think the priority is pick at the defense before you, you lose what might be available uh, on the offensive side.
1: Yeah, I, I've been the proponent uh, of looking at the back end as well. And, and you know, IMAX said it there that he would suspect if if you know Schmidt's being moved out, there would be a defenseman coming back, and maybe that's the move you make uh, to to get that kind of defensive defenseman that we've been talking about. But it still leaves you with a few holes on the back end. You know, I, I my guess, best guess would be that Alex Edler will probably return, and that Hamonic won't. He'll he'll be of higher demand. So the Canucks are going to have to find some sort of solution on the back end, at least you know one or or two players. So. Yeah, I would prioritize it that way, but but maybe and, and the question I asked Ian to be fair was, you know, priority number one and third line center, someone who could give them, you know, some balance up front, score a little bit, but also take some of the shutdown load from Bo Horvat, that might, I guess, be the ultimate uh, thing you want to fill. But to your point about, you know, people being available and that opportunity to strike and you don't want all the best defensemen to be moved before you get into the fray. I would also look at the back end first as well, and see what you can fix up there or shore up there before moving forward and looking elsewhere.
0: Uh, we'll talk to Dixon Ward in just a couple of seconds here, a longtime NHLer and Vancouver Canucks as well. Uh, get his thoughts on what the offseason might look like, and also, you know, on a day like today when we are talking about the AHL team, you know, one thing that's so important and, and especially now is. Uh, you know, it's been trumpeted this idea that hey, because the teams are so close, better for communication, better for just everything to to get players that development time. Like this is something now that I think a lot of fans are going to keep an eye on because they can keep an eye on because he's uh, because people can see the games themselves. But I'm excited to see that level of involvement and and player development now at at this stage with with this announcement today of what the team name is. And obviously we already knew the team was going to be playing there, but uh, excited to see what uh, the future looks like for the Canucks AHL team, which has been named the Abby Canucks. I will bring in Dixon Ward now, longtime NHLer and regular contributor here on Bick and the Boss on Wednesdays. Uh, Dixon, when it comes to the AHL and and, and shuttling players through that program, you know, when, when you're looking at AHL players. Like, what's the important steps that you gotta it, digest when you first make to pro hockey?
2: Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, as a player, um, obviously, uh, the little things are important when you're when you're moving out of junior hockey or you're moving out of college hockey or coming over from Europe. So, it's important to have a, a home base. It's important to have a, a, a good facility. Um, but but more importantly, it's a good to know that you're within close contact of, of the organization you really want to play for. And so I think it's a really good thing, as we've talked about before, um, there's going to be a, a built-in connection there, uh, stronger than, than they've ever had with their AHL team. So I think it's a very positive thing as long as they get support and they get p- people in the building, which is going to be very important to market it properly, uh, to create excitement around it for sure.
1: Dixon, um you work right now okanagan hockey uh group and and development for kids, and you think about it as they're younger, you know you want the practice to game ratio to be a certain way and and they get better with all the the stuff that you work off off the ice as well as on the ice, but at the american league um what is the, the best way for those players to develop? Because it's a robust schedule. There's some travel. You don't get to practice maybe as much as you like. And we, and we always talk about the players developing. Is it just getting miles uh, on the odometer, playing a high-level hockey? How much tweaking and changing can you do at an American Hockey League level when it comes to someone's development? And then where does that come from? Is it the games themselves or is it the practice time that they have? That, that sort of idea.
2: Well, it's, I mean, it's both, but then you got to look at you got to look at the cycle. It's a twelve month cycle, and and a lot of your development in today's day and age with the with the travel and, like you said, the robust schedule and uh, those things. A lot of the development with pro guys happens in the off season, and if you have a if you have a really solid framework for your off season development program, and you and you can control your players in that sense or track them or, or have opportunity for them um, to stay within the developmental system that you've created, it becomes really important because that's when you have the time to make, make uh, substantial changes, whether it's in skating or whether it's in strength, whether it's in uh, mobility, uh, flexibility, all the things that we want to continue to improve upon Year over year, it has to be with the young players that come into your system in the American League. You want to make sure that they have a 12-month cycle that they're looking at of improvement. And, the, and part of that improvement is playing a lot of games in a short period of time and learning what it is to be a professional and, and, and those type of things and living on your own and all the things that as a young pro you have to learn. Um, in order to take care of your mind and your body and play consistent hockey, whether you're tired or not tired and whether you're on the road or at home, those are all part of the developmental system. But in the actual physical improvement of your skill set, a lot of that stuff happens outside of the regular season. And uh, this opportunity, if, if it was me in, in, in Vancouver Canucks, I, I'd make sure that my young guys were... We spent most of their off-season uh, in the Lower Mainland working with their strength coaches and their development coaches so they can track them, test them, uh, keep them on the right path and development. Because they, as a hockey player, you have to improve every year. And if you don't, in one way or the another, you get left behind. So it's it's an opportunity to build a whole program around it, which is quite exciting if they do it properly.
0: So if, if you're talking about, hey, having guys stay in the Lower Mainland, and sometimes that's, you know, logistical nightmare with guys traveling overseas and whatnot, but the benefits now of having the team so close together, what jumps out to you immediately when you think of that?
2: Well, I, the first thing I think about it gives the, the, the Canucks management uh, way more opportunity to track their young players and, and prospects uh, on a much more frequent basis. Um, rather than having to watch video or watch games uh, on, you know, online or, or however they're doing it now, um, to be able to go see it and feel it in person uh, on off days when the Canucks aren't playing, and 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 then vice versa, be able to bring guys into practice and into into the big rink in Vancouver or their practice facility and be around the be around the real team, and, and it logistically makes it a lot easier to do those things, and so you create more of a connection. Which um, in any organization, it doesn't matter what sport or what business, you have a connection with your subsidiaries, you're going to have a stronger overall program, and I think you've seen it uh, around the league that happened more over the last 10 years. And, and I think it's it's just natural fit. So I think it's a real positive thing for the Canucks to be able to pull this off. And, and like I said, if they can continue to to build that bond with their American League team, uh, now that it's in atmosphere, it's going to be a, a real good thing for the young prospects to look forward to. Yeah.
1: And in a way, Dix, doesn't it, your, your help almost doubles in the sense of uh, you might have a goalie roving in structure, but you've got Ian Clark down the road who can head out there. You, you get a skills guy that's working with the big club, can spend some time in Abbotsford. It, in, in essence, your staff is a lot bigger and uh, better for that AHL team. And if they're off in Utica, where they wouldn't see those type of people day in, day out, uh, month in, month out, like they can now when it's just an hour drive down the road.
2: Well, there's no question, and it allows you to keep your staff close. Um, many times a development coach doesn't live in the city where the big team is. They're they're running around to the, to the American League team or the East Coast League affiliates and working with guys here, there, and the other way. This way you can, you can have your staff there. Your, your, your whole goalie program at Ian, and, and, and I'm sure they'll have a secondary guy that'll be working in Abbotsford a lot, and you got your skills development guys, and, and they're all there together. And so they can share information. They can give feedback to one another. Uh, Jim can uh, access those guys at any time to ask questions and get reports on players and how guys are doing way easier uh, to do that in person and way more effective. Um, And so that's, that's the setup that that I think is the most efficient and the most beneficial. um, If you're building a a hockey team, because you're an NHL hockey team, you have 50 guys under contract, not just 23 that are sitting in the Vancouver Canucks locker room, but you have you have room for fifty contracts and guys that are assets in your program. And you're, and you're nowadays you have to develop from within to be successful, and uh, you have to build a really strong developmental system. There's no question about it. Dixon Ward
0: joining us. Uh, so you mentioned a. a- a bit ago about the twelve month cycle about you know how these guys you know stay in shape and stay competitive and we're getting into off season programs. Elias Patterson, uh posting videos today of him shooting. What was your off season process and and now that you are part of like a development uh, program, w- how much have you noticed it changes from when you were playing to what you plot out now for players?
2: Well, obviously the the techniques and the science uh, and the and the training programs that that we did were comprehensively different uh, then than they are now. But when I played, I stayed in Vancouver after my first year and and worked with Peter Twist, who was our strength and conditioning coach at the time. And it was a very beneficial thing for me. And I did that uh, for the most part of my career. I stayed in the city in which I was playing um, in order to stay connected with with our coaches uh, on the strength and conditioning side and the trainers for any sort of rehab that needed to happen. Um, and the access to facilities um, isn't always easy. You know, we have a lot of guys that come back to Kelowna in the summertime, and they train here, and 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 we've always provided them with ice every summer here in Kelowna. But it's not as easy as you may think because ice is is not easy to find. So if you're if you're at, uh, in your home city, you got access to the to the facilities. You got access to go on the ice when you need to and when you want to, and work on. Certain details of the game—that's a lot more beneficial and a lot more efficient, a lot easier for players uh, to get themselves into a routine. So, um, especially young guys. I mean, the older pros that you know—they've they, been through the process. They understand what they need to do in the off season. They don't need as much guidance uh, because they have the experience. But the young guys need guidance. They need experience and they need support. And having the ability to do that twelve months a year is important.
1: Now, Dixon, we're, we're into the, the business part of hockey and the Stanley Cup's been awarded and now we're looking at an expansion draft and roster freezes and every team in the in the league is trying to find that deal. And, and knowing what went with Vegas and how they exploited things and, and came out with an excellent hockey team that continues to push for a cup, even though they, they've just started recently, do you get the sense that you know teams around the league this time around will be a little more cautious and and maybe just hey we're gonna lose a guy let's just lose that guy let's not give away too many prospects or better players because right now the Canucks are trying to weaponize things or look for those those bargain deals and so far it's been very slow did you get a sense maybe that this could be different this time around when it comes to this expansion draft for Seattle
2: there's no no question about it I mean. Uh, again, experience uh, teaches you a million lessons. And every team that went through the experience of the expansion draft with, with Vegas has learned something from it uh, good, bad, and ugly. Um, and now that they know what the, because what the, that was the first year, first expansion year that, that those rules were in place. They were comprehensively different uh, when Nashville and Atlanta and, and Ottawa and Tampa and the latest round of expansion teams came in. The, the rules are comprehensively different than they were when Vegas uh, came in. So uh, everybody didn't really know what to expect. And George McPhee and his crew in in Vegas did an excellent job of, of building out that roster. Now everyone's going to be a little bit more experienced on, on how to work their own rosters to make sure that they um, don't get uh, fleeced, so to speak. And so Ronnie Francis and his crew in Seattle is going to have a tougher time, but I think, Uh, My gut feeling is they're not going to try to replicate what Vegas did. They're going to build their own group, and they're going to build a young group, and they're going to build a development system uh, in a more traditional sort of build-every-year format in order to build a strong, uh, long-term, competitive franchise there. I'm
0: trying to think. uh, In your career, you would have went through, what, four expansion drafts? Predators, Atlanta, uh, Columbus, and Minnesota. Uh, Yeah. What were those... uh, you know, weeks leading up to it, uh, were you nervous, thought you might get selected or something like that. What, like what was your mindset heading into And
2: yeah, a, a, yeah an I mean, one, year, one year was one year. I thought when I played in Buffalo, in the Nashville one, um, I, uh, was left exposed and I, I was sort of pissed off at the whole deal because I had a really good year, but I, I didn't know the inner workings of what was happening. And so myself and Bobby Bugner were exposed and, uh, and I thought for sure I was going to Nashville. Um and as it turned out Bobby Bugner went and I think they had a they already had an understanding that that was what, sh- what was gonna happen. So they didn't uh as I learned later, they, I, I wasn't really at risk to going, but uh that that was the one time where I thought for sure I was out out of there and I was headed to Nashville and uh, as it turned out it uh, didn't work that way.
1: Yeah, and, and I guess as a as a national hockey league and you're an established franchise you know Vegas aside most expansions don't necessarily work out all that well to start so you you would be kind of pissed wouldn't you in the sense of hey why you guys expose me and let me go so it, it's probably hard for some of these guys who are going to be left off these lists when when they <laughs> see them finally come out
2: yeah there's there's no question there will be there will be those guys that are like um, taking it personally um but in the same token if their agents uh, are well versed on on salary cap and and contract terms and all the other details that make it way more difficult than it used to to formulate a roster, um, they can probably alleviate a lot of that stress knowing full well that teams are going to expose good players knowing full well that they will not get chosen based on a whole number of factors. So, you know, there will be a couple surprises that will come off the board that teams would expect not to lose, but they will end up losing them or there will be a deal done at the last minute um, but I think everybody's uh, pretty in tune with the way the business works now, and it is what it is. And you can't protect a whole lot of players right now. Um, so there's a lot of good players exposed, but there's a lot of money exposed too. And uh, Vegas can o- or uh, Seattle can only uh, spend eighty one and a half million, like everybody else.
0: Uh, what were the conversations like uh, around the expansion protection list with you and uh, the GM? It would have been Darcy or right?
2: There's no conversation. <laughs> None. <laughs> back in the day, there was zero. There was zero communication uh, about anything uh, in those days, and uh, it was it, it was what it was. And, and nobody called you and said, "Hey, this is the situation." And nobody was patting you on the back saying, "Don't worry about it." They were just saying, "This is the business," and let the chips fall as they may, so to speak. And so things have changed a lot more now, and there is a lot more connection with the management and the players and making sure that everybody's uh, being upfront about the process, and, and I think that um, that's a good thing as far as a player's concerned.
1: And, hey, you're a good Alberta boy. You would love to go to Nashville for all that country music anyways.
2: <laughs> hey, I didn't, I'll i be honest with you. I didn't care where I was playing. I was happy just to be playing in the league, and, uh, of course, I would have shown up anywhere that would take me, and um, uh, it's interesting to see Uh, and many guys don't know how many close calls they they had over the course of their career. They could have went there, they could have went there, they could have went there, until you get uh, out of the game and older and you talk to guys and they say, yeah, yeah, we tried to trade for you in 1997, but they couldn't get enough for you, or blah, blah, blah. And you have no idea this stuff's going on, right? It's happening all the time. So it's quite interesting to to imagine what your career could have looked like if things had been different, or, or the good or the bad of it.
0: Uh he is Dixon Ward, longtime NHLer and Vancouver Canucks, uh, joins us every week here on Bick and the Boss. Uh thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week.
2: Hey guys, pleasure talking to you again.
0: It's uh Dixon Ward. Uh again, longtime NHLer and Vancouver Canuck. Uh man, that uh, just trying to think of uh that predators draft, how how nerve-wracking that would have been. Now it's like social media and someone's well, likes something yeah. on Instagram and it changes the whole conversation. Uh although that Ryan Suter story yesterday was rather uh, fascinating of him trying to uh, talk to Zach Parise, getting a call from Bill Guerin, and just hanging up on him after finding out he's got bought out.
1: Yeah, well, it, it was interesting to hear Dixon, you know, say that. I remember he told us his story about being drafted and didn't mm-hmm. even know he'd been drafted, you know, but... That there was the communication wasn't there you had you know no idea um you know you find out what it after and and then all of a sudden you're exposed and you you're kind of angry and and then you 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 realize that maybe there's other things at play and and this is you know not all that long ago, but you're you're right it it is really to hear these stories and and how the players react and and what's been done. I would guess it's pretty unsettling for a lot of people right now, not knowing where their future might be and where their families are going to end up. Even though as Dixon just said, you'd probably go play anywhere because it's a national hockey league, but it's a tough time for everyone.
0: Pick Nazar, Craig McEwen, we'll be back in a bit here. Uh, continue the conversation with the Vancouver Canucks. I see some texts coming in about the, uh, the Abbotsford Canucks and those jerseys. Uh, we'll get into that. And uh, a couple other things. What, 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 the Canucks might be targeting, and are there some names that might become available on the free agent market that uh, could uh, tickle your fancy? We'll, we'll, we'll talk We'll talk about it all on the way here on Bick and the Boss. And NHL draft coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by Connect Hearing. Take control of your hearing health and book your free hearing test at connecthearing.ca today. Back in a flash, here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the boss on sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Bic and the boss. Bic Nazar, Craig McEwen, home of the Canucks, sportsnet 650. Uh, while we were talking to, uh, Dixon Ward, a signing in the NHL, Teddy Bluger signs a two year, $2.2 million deal. Uh, a guy I, I thought maybe could have been one of those players that you can poach, uh, in the expansion draft, uh, you know, Pittsburgh's got some decisions to make, but they make this signing uh, before he goes to the uh, the expansion draft. So, I, I would imagine this means he's going to get protected. And, uh, you know, I, I thought an interesting, like, fourth, third-line guy that, based on the metrics, C-Mac, uh, and, and I know how much you love the metrics – <laughs> uh
1: really me, me really and Pierre Maguire apparently,
0: yeah, yes like a really strong defensive player and to be fair like when you watch Penguins games it does bear out as well uh of how on the right side of the puck he is and you know i i thought an interesting name that maybe uh could be poached but uh, he's he's getting his money and i i'm curious if this is the first sign of maybe some other transactions like this now as, as each minute we get closer to the deadline
1: well yeah and and our teams as much as we thought they'd be desperate, as much as we thought they want to wheel and deal, as much as we thought they would be willing to give up on guys, our team's now, okay, the business of hockey started. We're going to try and lock some of these guys down and keep them.
0: Yeah, 650-650, uh, keep coming in with your thoughts as well. We did talk to Ian McIntyre a little while ago as well. You can listen to the full interview online at uh, sportsnet.ca slash 650. Just go to the Bick and the Boss page and also on the podcast. Um you know, he mentioned something interesting about you know as we get ready for this uh, expansion draft and also the real NHL draft, uh, the the entry draft, should say not the real draft, uh, entry draft. Uh, you know one of the things the Canucks have to do is start understanding that it, you know money has to get off of the books and are there creative ways to going about it? And here's what Ian had to say: Maybe there's an asset that they can use uh, to to facilitate some money coming off the books.
3: You can only be so aggressive when you have so little salary cap space and so few assets to spend. And this team's not in a position, you know, where it can it can, you know, sustain a bunch of trades where you're giving up future assets. We may see the Canucks top pick, the ninth overall pick, that may be in play and, and certainly I think it's being discussed more than what typically uh, Jim Benning would be entertaining uh, for as offers to give up his pick because we know how much he loves drafting and we know that they've generally been successful with their drafting and development. But when you have so few assets to move, that's one that you can be aggressive with. But again, you better be awfully careful and, and cautious when you're talking about putting in play assets like that. So they do need to improve the team. That much, I think, we all can agree upon. But uh, their means to do it is still somewhat limited right now. And although they'll try and be aggressive, uh, I just don't know how much they're actually going to be able to get done. If, if if they're able to to find a way to move off one or two of their onerous most onerous contracts, however they do that, I mean that would be that would be a significant achievement. And again, that's probably partly why their top pick would would be considered in play, because if you are going to trade that pick, it, it's a, it's valuable enough, you can probably package one of those bad contracts with it. But uh we'll we'll see. There's just not a lot of wriggle room for, for the Canucks right now.
0: So that's interesting and I, I think that kind of falls into the dangerous category. And yeah. I, I understand, though, like, hey, demand is what it is to, to try to get some of the money off. It's my curiosity gets piqued then as far as, if you intend to move it off and or use that pick to get rid of bad contract, what's the piece that's coming in, and where do you intend to then get better? Because if if you're using that pick to shed contract, I'm I'm concerned about the asset that's coming back. Is it a prime? I don't think asset there's any asset like the coming overall? back.
1: Do you think there's an asset coming back? I, I would su- Well, that suspect- would be the
0: nuclear option. That would be to me the worst option.
1: Well, the the pick and six million of cap space goes out, so you can spend three million on one player, three million on another, and get better and improve.
0: Yeah, see, like that—that makes me completely squeamish because then I'm worried about like where is the actual improvement coming in? You've played your one your best hands, yeah. And but hey, you got to give up something to get
1: something, do you not? Uh, Like like, you know, right,
0: right. But see, I cannot guarantee what you're getting. Like, are are you spending that money in the free agent market? You don't know if you're going to be able to acquire the the guy you want in, in free agency
1: but could you not then work trades cuz you know you have some more cap space to to do something else but what's left you, you you've, you've burned something?
0: your best asset like like that's the issue it's it's but you get
1: you, Nate Schmidt goes out and and you 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 maybe bring a little bit more salary back than what Nate Schmidt is to get that that stud defenseman that you that you covet
0: that's worrying to me that's absolutely worrying to me cuz it means it, it's it's paying Peter to pay Paul right okay Nate Schmidt goes out it's to go robbing
1: get, Peter to pay Paul. Robbing whatever. Peter to pay Paul. Not whatever. paying Peter. If you'd be paying it's, Peter twice, you'd be really over the cap. You're, it, it, you're robbing it's, Peter.
0: It, it's, this, it's this awkward sequence of events then. Okay, Nate Schmidt gets traded to supplement someone that comes into the top six or your number three center. Great. Who's playing Nate Schmidt's minute? Who's playing Travis Hamannick's minute? Who's playing the other top four minutes? It, that's suddenly a lot of money spent in free agency or, or whatever avenue you want to do. It, it is your best asset. And, you know... When I look at you know contracts that fit that mold of just trying to get out of deals, um, you know Patrick Marlowe is the one that I look at uh, that you know, is the famous one that's you know first round pick going out. Yeah. Uh, I don't look at Louis Erickson and say those two completely match up because once Louis Erickson pays out his uh, his signing bonus, which you would expect the Vancouver Canucks are going to have to foot the bill for that, like that's three million dollars left. I feel like Patrick Marlowe... Uh, had significantly more money left on his deal uh, when he was getting paid out. So hey, like, listen, in, in I'm, that scenario, I'm, that's, that's
1: tough. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that this is what the Canucks are doing, neither was Ian, but hmm. when you start to look at or try to find creative solutions to get out from under where you're at, there's only so many options. I mean, SATA has come up with a couple of interesting ideas. This is something, again, that they can explore. No one knows the totality of what it could all add up to in freeing up some of that space you know Jim Benning does as Ian said likes to draft he, he that's that's his skill set i believe he's a of talent so by not bringing in a, a first overall pick uh in, in the ninth position that that's a that's a big um deal to to even consider doing that but if You know, if if this is something that they they feel in free agency because of the flat cap and there's going there that they they believe or they figured out, hey, we we have this multiplayer trade, but we can't get under the cap. We need some cap flexibility and room. What if we move out the the pick and some money and then we can do this trade, which we already have put together that you and I don't know about that involves multiple players and and a couple assets again. There's there's so many layers to this, I, I and the theories of throwing it out there, not just looking at it in the same way. I'm all for exploring things and trying to poke the holes in it. Right, that that that's what we have to do here, and that's what I'm sure the Canucks are trying to do as an organization.
0: That to me is just uh, I I've advocated for you know trading the pick. It, it's something that you can explore absolutely to do it in that fashion to get rid of money. Uh, man. Uh, I feel like there might be better ways to go about it, uh, as far as uh, using your ninth overall pick, especially when you need you need like a pipeline of assets to come in. You've got this AHL team that, you've, by and large, I know a lot of people complain that AHL assets haven't you know flourished transitioning to the NHL. I would also argue that they haven't put enough real bodies in there. It's usually, you know, six sure. round picks, six round picks. You got to start but, getting but, some real bodies in there.
1: But look at the day and age of the NHL, Big Most first rounders now, um, you know, or top players go straight to the NHL. They don't even go to the AHL anymore. Or before... There's this school of thought that you, you you learn the game in the American Hockey League. You go down there for an education, and I saw PK Subban down there. I saw Brody. I saw you know Kyle Turris. I saw all these young stud players when the Abbotsford Heat were around originally they, they all played in the American League and and they they got their feet under them and they learned the pro game. And what Dixon Ward was talking about, you know, your time management, your 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 fitness and, and all that sort of stuff, it doesn't happen that way anymore. So to expect that a third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounder is, is gonna blossom into one of your next top six or top four defensemen is is maybe in this day and age, because the way the players pipeline comes in is, is a little unrealistic, but that's why, you know, we had that conversation with Dixon about the, the facility and, and having coaches going back and forth mm-hmm. and the ability to keep tabs on them. Maybe they will be able to develop now more of these diamonds in the rough, as opposed to having your franchise on the other side of the of North America and not being able to go in and see it day in, day out, or, or at least a few times a month.
0: I can't uh, make any more declarative statements because uh, I've already cracked one egg on my head this year. But if, if they use a first-round pick, if they use ninth overall to get rid of a contract, I will be floored and gobsmacked. And that will be one of the more irresponsible moves in Jim Benning's tenure. And well, there have and, been and in the 656- a handful of them.
1: Yeah, 650, 650. Brendan and Animal says there's no way the Canucks are trading a first round pick to move money out. That is the most ridiculous thing the Canucks could do. One year of Ericsson, Beagle, and Roussel with a first round pick just to increase one year of cap space. This conversation is not worth having. Trade Schmidt or a second round to improve otherwise and wait another year. Benning is not a creative person. Sorry, Brendan and Animal. Listen. this isn't breaking news this isn't happening but when you have to look at a problem or try to solve it and Mm -hmm. you know what what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result they have to explore things they have to at least theorize or go through the process in their head and again what we might see is one chess move with uh, a pick going out and, and some money but what we don't see are the other two three moves that that could the domino could fall another way that they're confident they can get done only they know what they can and can't do we can only speculate on it so in this exercise of, of going through the process i'm all for exploring it but i'm also you know smart enough to know that if, if it doesn't make sense don't do it
0: Vic nazar and craig McEwen here uh keep your thoughts coming in 650 650 yeah some people are trying to attach it with nate schmidt now uh, perhaps the machinations, if it's a larger trade, right? If it's, you know, ninth overall, Nate Schmidt and, say, Louis Erickson to get something back, right? I think I can live with the idea of a contract being attached with it so long as there's also something
1: coming back. But that's I, I, what I mean. There could be something coming back later, not necessarily in the first move, though, Vic.
0: No, no, no. I, if you're moving ninth overall, I need, I need like, player... A player that's going to have service time for you, and and uh, like I just to follow Minor Matt's idea, it's if you're adding you know Erickson and another player to it, so you get a real NHL player back. Like if you're if you're using ninth overall, I'm looking at at least six to seven years of service time of whatever player comes back, and I that's the only way I think you can successfully move that pick. It, it, it's it's got to be a responsible player no, that you're and, getting and I, back I'm because. Not just-
1: I'm not disagreeing. What I'm saying is is that that serviceable player doesn't have to come in the original deal. That could come in something else later that we don't know about at the time. Why does it have to come right at that moment? Why couldn't it be part of it now that you've cleared this cap? Because you're burning another that- asset. You, you're you still getting the asset in a different deal. And okay, it, but it,
0: if you trade if you trade the first round pick, right, and, and yep. you open up the space, and now you're thinking, finally, I've got room. I can now shop in, elsewhere in... in, in league and then you're again then giving up another asset to go do that like eventually you're just going to run out of currency
1: but maybe it's not asset maybe it's someone else's contract that they're having some salary cap problem that you can give up a third rounder and take someone second round or take out someone on like it doesn't have to be you're losing an asset there's different ways to to kind of move this out. And again, I'm not a GM of a hockey team. I'm not, I'm not saying this is what the Canucks are going to do, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is just because one deal doesn't have all the things attached to it doesn't mean that another deal couldn't happen very shortly soon after. And the only reason that's happened is because you've done the first one in the first place.
0: Yeah. It just, and, and this goes back to the conversation we were having earlier uh, in the first segment of the show is like, how do you build this out as far as like where do you want to allocate the money for, right? Because yeah. I, I think we're looking at this right now, and you know it feels like there's going to be you know forty five, actually probably more than that, probably close to you know fifty million dollars uh, on the front end uh, once Pedersen signs his contract, and is thirty million dollars or I guess less than that enough for what the back end will look like? And I, I'm not uh, entirely convinced. And, and this is why, you know, prioritizing the defense to me makes a bit more sense of, you know, getting just more bodies in here, but just capable bodies uh, on the back end right now.
1: Well, that's the thing, is, is Hamannick and, and Edler, you, you would define them as capable. You know, mm-hmm. Edler much better uh, a while back, but he's still a very, and I'll even say serviceable defenseman. You start to lose Hamannick because he's the market is, is bigger for him this year. He's opened it up a little bit. And if Edler doesn't decide to re-sign, which I think he will, but if he doesn't, you're right, you, you need some capable or serviceable players back there that, that can play. And that's why, and we've talked about it, I would prioritize trying to fill that hole first because there doesn't seem to be the the volume or the availability in that position and harder maybe to replace. And Jim Benning talked about how wingers are easier to bring in than centermen. I, I would counter, too, the defensemen are maybe right now, especially the ones that you know we've talked about, those mm-hmm. bigger, more mobile, uh, hefty defensemen, those are tougher to find maybe than centers or wingers.
0: The other equation to this, too, is you know, we were talking about using ninth overall to get rid of someone like Louis Erickson. But where does Brayden Holpe play in, into this scenario? Right, There are some teams right now that don't have goalies to protect. Like Buffalo doesn't have a goalie to protect. Uh, what's Boston's scenario? Uh, Carolina, there's been word of uh, maybe Nedeljkovic is, is going to get priced out for, for his uh, re-signing in Carolina. So, are they teams that you can utilize and say, "Hey, Brayden Holpe, we can retain some salary here and move that out." And is that a way you alleviate the stress on yourself rather than using the nuclear option of of first or your first round pick?
1: Well, hey, listen, and 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 I'm not just trying to stir the pot, but but Pod, but you could. What if you moved that pick and you moved all of Holpi salary? What if you moved that pick and got rid of Tyler Myers salary, like? Again, we're thinking Louis Erickson one year, we're, we're thinking Roussel, like, expand your mind and look at this in a different way. Again, you're gonna have to find someone to replace Tyler Myers, you're gonna have to find someone to p- replace Braden Holpe. But now you're opening up more cap space spend it a different way move with that and and you know i'm getting ripped on the dunbar lumber text inbox 650 650 people saying i don't know how trades are made i know how trades are made i understand i've been around a long time and and sometimes what we see initially isn't what ends up happening at the end of it i you know look at it from that mind would 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 as much as the fans here i'd like tyler myers i wouldn't want to lose him but would you give up that pick and give up myers contract so you could do something else you know, it, now all of a sudden you're you're looking at different options and different things, and and in Canuck Land, everyone ripping on Myers. Now you don't have to rip on them anymore.
0: I I feel like the the next transaction that you're talking about, like salary cap dumps, I would open up the space, and and now like those are the trades that you can take advantage of. I, I do kind of feel like that's kind of mana from heaven, where it's in one regard, it's like, hey, we, we opened it up, but. Now we're hoping these things fall down from the sky right into our laps. And then in that scenario, too, if they are contracts that are trying to get moved, what is the value of the player? Like, how, how are we talking about guys that are slowly declining, or are we talking about mid range guys that have bad contracts?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. It's interesting, you're, you're right, We, you know, in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, uh, this year is not the year to trade contracts, we have too many holes to fill and it's a weak UFA class. So, you have to look at it, the entire picture and the, and, and the scenarios that go through it, but, you know, as much as we all think we know what the Canucks are doing or who they're targeting or what they're looking at, or much as we all want to know that, we, we don't know what deals or what they're looking at and how they're trying to f- figure things out. And they wouldn't be doing their job if they wouldn't at least explore the options or, or hey, have you ever thought of doing it this way? Listen, we, we, we thought, hey, have you ever thought about putting Bic with the boss? We tried it. you know it, it's, it's worked out somewhat okay, but eventually you're going to get a better partner, buddy, and, and don't worry about it. But right now, that's what we're doing. that's this- That's kind of the thing. This
0: one's from Derek in Maple Ridge. Uh, Boys, this is why Jim Benning needs to get fired. Can't believe he's allowed to run the business the way he's running it with horrible contracts that you you have to wait to expire because nobody wants the players, and now they're talking about gift-wrapping them in the ninth overall pick. It's absurd in any other business he would lose his job. Ridiculous. That is from Derek in Maple Ridge. Just to be fair. fair, We're we're not saying
1: they're doing this. We're just Ian McIntyre uh, put out an idea, much like Sat put out an idea, much like Elliot Friedman sometimes floats a thought or or what if we tried it this way yeah we're not suggesting that this is what Jim Benning is doing or going to do but this was Ian's Saying hey, the ninth could be in play, and Vic, to your point, it could be in play for a, a, a prospect in in the age range of twenty three to twenty four that you know fits right in. That could very well be the scenario. But IMAC also said, hey, what if you move that out and you also alleviated some cap problems? Which to your point, if you threw Schmidt in there, it, maybe you, maybe you accomplish everything at once. So let's not let's not be saying this is exactly what they're doing. We're just having the discussion and saying, hey, what if? What if they tried this? What if they did this? Uh,
0: 650, 650, this question comes in. Uh, If they buried uh, Roussel, Beagle, and Erickson, uh, how much would they save against the cap? So those guys' cap hits combined are uh, $12 million, some quick maths there, Uh, 6 plus 3 plus 3. And I believe if they buried them, it would be just uh, under... Uh, or sorry, just over three million dollars cap savings. I think three point two five or something like that. Uh, so something, but not a lot. And and, and when we start to work out the the potential, you know, burying and and retain money or whatever it is. The Canucks are hovering around twenty million dollars, give or take, right now. Now, mind you, Patterson and Hughes aren't signed. You're still missing uh, other top four D-men, what happens with Nate Schmidt. So uh, all the pieces still have to fit together, and you you only got one center signed right now as well. Uh, So $20 million will get eaten up pretty fast, but it's in and around that range, and that's why we're talking about, hey, do they have to make moves to, to get a salary off of the books?
1: yeah now you're just trying to defend me it's okay I, I can take it'm uh,
0: uh, it. I'm just I'm just talking about facts here. I'm just talking about
1: facts <laughs> I, I can take it. Someone's suggesting uh i've I've smoked Donnie's herb this morning. Um, no that's not the case uh, I, I am not uh, I'm not uh, chemically enhanced.
0: I just got a text from a coworker C-Mac. Uh I just <laughs> looked at the text message box. What the hell did C-Mac say? <laughs> <laughs> We didn't say anything. We're just exploring ideas. Thanks for the uh, uh, text coming in. Six fifty, six fifty. Uh, a lot more coming up on the way. I feel well, like hey, other hey, to you got to read
1: this one. Come on, Marcus and Gibson. Bick is the Hughes of six fifty. Let's find him a great long-term partner. I'm going to end on that one.
0: I think I have more heft than Quinn. You know, you know <laughs> Quinn's you know meant to be one of the smaller guys. I, I I've got too much heft uh, right now. Although off-season programming, maybe uh, you know I, I come back new and. New and improved for September.
1: Let's hope so. And a new partner.
0: <laughs> oh, we'll worry about that down the road. Uh, it is Pic uh, Nazar and Craig McEwen here. Uh, we are actually not here tomorrow. Uh, it is Ot filling in for us. Uh, I'll be on the People's Show tomorrow, uh, which is on See, the way. New
1: partner, you're stepping up, and we're we're <laughs> eating into their time right now. But look at that you've already you've already jumped the top pair. You're on the there, People's Show.
0: Yeah, there we go.
1: Bick uh, Hughes, Bick Hughes. We're gonna call you
0: <laughs> a, a pack show. Uh, Eddie Lach gonna join us. Stanley Cup winner Luke Shen. Uh, on the way. Who broke the Stanley Cup? We'll, uh, we'll ask Luke Shen uh, later today. Plus, we're doing a bit of an expansion draft preview uh, touring some teams that might have difficult decisions to make. We're going to talk to Jamie Thomas out of Winnipeg, Adam Vinyen from Nashville, Mike Haka from Dallas, and Vincent Mercogliano from New York. Uh, some teams that have some interesting decisions prior to uh, the roster freeze. Could they be moving a player? Could they, could they absorb a contract, c Uh, We'll pitch it by all those guys. Plus, Dan and Randy on the way here on the Home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650.